This is the Big Issues Better Pod, acting today for a better tomorrow. We know that poverty kills, basically. And so if we're going to get up front and keep people out of our NHS, needing treatment and so on, we need to really be tackling poverty. And that's, you know, more difficult than ever at the moment. For our first edition of Better Pod, we're talking to a woman who's at the cutting edge of the movement to act today for a better tomorrow. Sophie Howe is the world's first Future Generations Commissioner. She was appointed by the Welsh Government in 2016, and since then she's been working to change the way the state works, focusing on leaving future generations a planet and a society that's worth living in. I'm Laura Kelly, the Big Issues Future Generations Editor. I lead a team of up-and-coming journalists who come from backgrounds that are all too often shut out of the media. I'm Katrina Siwitanidis, and I'm a part of the Future Generations team. As someone that comes from a working class background and a mixed ethnic background, there's not many opportunities for people like me because journalism is considered an upper class job. So this opportunity here at The Big Issue is really important to me. So Kat, tell me what struck you about our conversation with Sophie. When we were talking to Sophie about topics that matter to young people, such as climate change and inequality. The one that struck me the most and the one that I relate to the most would be education. There's many times I remember in school when I was doing exams and I thought to myself, are the things that I'm learning about really mirroring real life? So when she spoke about reforming the education system in Wales for people under 14, I really think that the rest of the UK should take a look at that and really revamp our education system to benefit the future generations rather than failing them. Hello Sophie, thanks for talking to Kat and me. As the Future Generations team at The Big Issue, we're delighted to begin our podcasting journey with you. If it's alright with you, I'd like to start a little bit about your background. So. As the first person in your family to go to university, you then became a local councillor at 21. You went on to work at the Equal Opportunities Commission and be a deputy police commissioner before taking on the historic role you now have. I would love to hear, where did that sense of self-assurance and drive come from, do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, I look back, and maybe lots of people do this, but I look back on my life and... Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen that film Sliding Doors when Gwyneth Paltrow like goes to catch the train and like in, and then you you run this sort of parallel film. One time she catches the train, the other one she doesn't catch the train and basically her life kind of pans out in different ways. So I often think about like what are those sliding door moments in your, in your life and um, there are probably loads, but two really kind of stick out to me. One is that I, you know, I grew up in an area that, you know, was quite a tough area, you know, often the headlines for the wrong reasons, all of the, you know, deprivation statistics and all of those sorts of things. But actually, my parents worked. And by virtue of the fact fact that my parents worked, I went to a school where my grandparents lived, which was in the like leafy suburbs of Cardiff rather than this area. So instead of going to the school, literally at the end of my street, which was like a twice failing school, I went to school in a more affluent area. And the aspirations of kids in that school were quite different to the aspirations of kids that I played with on the street and so on. 
So it was the norm for people to go to university, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I went through that system. I was the first in my family to um, to go to university. And then in my, you know, my dad was like, you know, oh, clearly she's going to be like the next leader of the free world now because she's gone to university. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> I like his but... <laughs> attitude on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then I fell pregnant in my final year of university. Um, and it was kind of like, again, that was a kind of sliding door moment for me because what I was hit with then, even from my dad, who was like, you know, the most proud dad ever, that's it, you've ruined your life, you know, you're now just going to be another one of the statistics and so on and so on. And that really, um, you know, I'm one of those people who tell me I can't do something, by God, I'm going to do it. Um, or if you tell me that there's, you know, a, a sort of barrier or a blocker. So that made me even more determined. So um, that, you know... <laughs> that bump as it was then he's now 22 <laughs> um and you know I I suppose I then both had that determination that kind of you know I always had that sense of like social justice that comparison between like the aspiration of the kids in school versus the kids that I played with on the street and why should their lives be different just dependent on you know where they were born or where they went to to school um and of course then I had like my own you know child to think god I've got to like you know I've got to do well for him and and do better for him and um and so I was elected as counsellor um when I was six months pregnant I'm not sure whether I would have done that um you know if you know before or if I'd known that I was pregnant when I got selected and so on but um that also gave me this insight into where wow, we really need to be like getting up front of lots of problems and, you know, really need to, to be bringing in different perspectives to some of those political environments that just don't generally, certainly not back then, they just didn't exist. With that backstory, it kind of feels like the job you're in now, future generations commissioner, it, I mean, it feels sort of almost like you were destined to do it. <laughs> but tell us a bit about what that actually means for people who maybe don't um, you know, have a great understanding about what that role is. The role was set up um, when the Welsh, um, the Welsh Parliament, the Senate, passed this law, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. Um, and it does a number of things. So I suppose the, the most important thing is that it places this legal duty on all of our main institutions in Wales, so like our councils, our health boards, our fire and rescue services, things like that, our public services and the Welsh government itself to demonstrate how when they're taking decisions and they take decisions in a way which meet today's needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And so that's how that role um, came about. And it's first in the world, um, which is very exciting. I think, you know, can be a bit lonely, you know, I'm just you know, hanging out on <laughs> my sure. own in the world being the only commissioner. But there are there are others coming now. There's one in Gibraltar, um, there's gonna be one in Scotland soon. If we can get this UK bill through that is being led by um by you guys and and, and John Bird in the House of Lords, um, then that would be absolutely huge as well. Yeah, absolutely. As the commissioner, how do you possibly work out what's actually best for the future? I can't, with 100% certainty, can I say what future generations want, you know, because we're talking about the unborn here and, you know, not surprisingly, they don't talk to me that much. So um, what we did in Wales is we basically had this like national conversation where we asked the citizens of Wales, what's the Wales you want to leave behind to your children and your grandchildren and future generations to come? And they came up with, you know, quite a quite a load of like what are really sensible things we want like a healthier Wales where everyone's physical and mental health is sort of 
maximised and their, their well-being is protected. We want to protect our environment. We want, you know, a planet or, you know, whales and a planet that's going to be left behind for future generations. We want an economy that, you know, addresses inequality, not one that just kind of strives for just, you know, growth forever and ever, whatever the, you know, whatever the consequences. So I think when you pose those questions to people, you know, what's this world going to be like for your, you know, your next generations and those yet to come, you do actually get some quite sensible answers. Do you think it's important for you and those that you see in power more generally to listen to young people and listen to what they have to say? Absolutely. I mean, you know, our young people, well, they're not, you know, the unborn, are they? But they're closer to the unborn. They're closer to knowing what a future will look like. One of the things that I'm doing is I've set this thing called a Future Leaders Academy. Mm -hmm. So we've got um, every year a cohort of 30 future leaders. And, um, you know, we put them through an intensive programme about leadership in their sort of sector. So they're, you know, we've got engineers, we've got... um, people who are working in the environment sector, we've got young creatives, we've got um, people who are real community active activists and so on. And we sort of, you know, upskill them on, you know, leading in their sector around the, the Future Generations Act and sustainability. But the really exciting bit is we also get them to mentor current leaders in Wales. So our future leaders are, you know, it's usually the other way around, isn't it? Us older people. We must impart our great knowledge onto you younger generations. What absolute nonsense, because there's so much that our younger generations need to teach us and the, the sort of current leaders. So they're like, they're mentoring, like, you know, the head of the Welsh Government Civil Service. They're mentoring the chief executive of the Welsh Football Association, um, chief execs of the health boards, because we need that perspective that just doesn't really exist in decision making at the moment. I love that programme. I've read about that and I thought it's just fantastic. Obviously, that's one of the ways that you can encourage the governments and political establishment more generally to act today for tomorrow. But and and you've got the act and you've got yourself there. But I'm aware that those are all kind of structural bits and pieces that you can put in place. How do you see the kind of the real work of embedding that thinking in the way people, you know, actually do their day to day jobs rather than being an add on? Yeah. And so that is the absolute critical question, isn't it? Because really it's quite easy to pass a law, um, you know, and a law generally requires you to do specific, often bureaucratic things. You've got to write a wellbeing plan and do wellbeing assessments and you've got to report on it once a year and, you know, and all of those sorts of things. And often when we have those things, you get people like ticking the box and completely missing the point. And so I've tried to be really careful as the sort of first future generations commissioner to not get obsessed about the bureaucracy of it all, because I think that can completely take you away from the point of it. Mm. Um, And so a lot of what I try and do is sort of, you know, show people how can we do things in a better way? So like one of the um, programmes we've been working with, we've got a public health consultant seconded to Cardiff Council to lead on the development of the transport strategy. And that's really interesting because when you start applying a public health lens to a transport problem, you kind of get a completely different set of solutions. If you ask the highways department, right, what they'll do is build you a road. Um, and what that road will do is cause... Um, more p- air pollution, um, people will still be sitting in their cars, not travelling actively in, in a healthy way and so on and so on. So you put the public health guy in there and what you start then seeing is, right, we're going to target active travel, public transport investment 
at our communities who've got the lowest levels of life expectancy. Because if we have the infrastructure in those communities to reduce air pollution, to get people traveling in a healthier way, that has long-term benefits to the kind of health outcomes for those communities. And so like we call in our team, what we're trying to do is like build a movement. And I think that's what you guys are trying to do in the big, big issue, really, from a UK perspective, build this movement around... One, let's call out the madness. The way we're doing things at the moment is completely mad. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> short term, storing up all these problems and so on. Two, set a vision for there's a better way of doing it. And three, let's get a law to require our government to do things in a, in a better way. Coming up after this message, why does Sophie think a universal basic income could be a game changer? Did you know you can get The Big Issues award-winning journalism through your door every week? As a Better Pod listener, you can sign up to get a four-week subscription to the best in news, politics and culture for just £12. And we'll even throw in a stylish tote bag for free. Go to bigissue.com bigpod to find out more. You've been in the role for six years now, which is incredible. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest successes you've seen? So I suppose that the, the sort of first biggest test case was a, um, a plan for the government to, um, they wanted to, to use all of Wales's borrowing capacity. So it's a bit of a kind of um, quirk of the devolution settlement. The Wales didn't have powers to borrow money like the UK government has. Um, and they just got these powers to borrow money and they wanted to borrow all the money that they could borrow to build a 13-mile stretch of motorway to deal with the problem of congestion um, on the M4 around Newport. And I said, hang on a minute, you know, how have you considered the well-being of future generations in this? Because we've got these goals to reduce our carbon emissions. We've got goals for a healthier Wales. Um, how is having everyone sat in their cars in a mo- on a motorway going to keep anyone healthier and reduce air pollution? Um, it's going to increase our carbon emissions. How is it going to deal with our goal of more equal Wales when 25% of the lowest income families in that area don't even own a car? So you'd literally be spending all of the money for those who are already better off. And the government couldn't, um, you know, I challenged them on that. I went, I really publicly um, sort of challenged and embarrassed them, really. And they couldn't answer those questions. And the First Minister changed that decision. So that's one decision, but that was a kind of trigger point for us being able to show you've got to change the whole system. So now on transport in Wales, we reform the transport strategy. So now building roads is right at the bottom of the list of priorities in our transport strategy. So you can see there how from one intervention, that sort of had a trickle effect, but then there's more. We've revised our school curriculum in Wales around the Future Generations Act. So, you know, what we were doing is basically, you know, regurgitating knowledge to kids for them to then, you know, regurgitate back utter nonsense in a world where if you want to know something you google it and that's now you know in the future we might just I don't know think it and it'll pop into our head through some sort of you know weird chip or something who knows um so what we need to be teaching our kids is the things that robots can't do empathy critical thinking cooperation teamwork all of those sorts of things are going to be needed for them to live good lives but also for them to be part of being good citizens yeah thank well, thanks in part to your advocacy for a universal basic income i know wales has just launched a basic income pilot for care leavers what do you make of that study so um i'm really excited about it we know that poverty kills basically 
And so if we're going to get up front and keep people out of our NHS needing treatment and so on, we need to really be tackling poverty. And that's, you know, more difficult than ever at the moment. The cost of living crisis, you know, hundreds of thousands of people being um, tipped into poverty and, and so on. And I don't think that, you know, our welfare system was devised um, in a completely different time. It was devised in a time when, you know, the the gig, the gig economy wasn't a word, you know, that that wasn't a, a thing. So you might have been, you know, you'd, go, you'd leave school and you'd go into work and you'd probably stay in the same job or the same field throughout your career. Now, you know, you could be earning 50 quid one week as a... Um, a delivery, um, you know, driver, or, you know, 300 quid the next week. And the welfare system doesn't really kind of account for that. Um, and it's still keeping people in poverty. So if we want to do better things for the next generation, we need to take them, the current generation and children sort of coming behind, we need to take them out of poverty. So I think, you know, that a universal basic income should be an issue that we're looking at. It costs a lot of money, but it costs less money than dealing with the effects of poverty cost. So I again, it's a mindset shift. So there's all sorts of complicated reasons to do with devolution, why it's difficult for the Welsh government to roll it out completely. And the UK government are not particularly supportive of that, which is particularly difficult because we need their cooperation to, to do that. What we don't want is for the Welsh government to be given a universal uh, UBI on one hand and then the UK government to be taking away other benefits mm, because absolutely. of that income, if you see what I mean. So they're going to trial it with care leavers, which I think is a good start. Undoubtedly, you know, care leavers are some of the most disadvantaged people in, in society. And we're going to see... What happens? We're going to see whether their um, health improves, whether their you know uh, their prospects of work and so on improve, whether their overall well-being improves, and where there've been pilots in other countries, there've been some amazing results there. So I'm really excited to get going in Wales. If you had a magic wand, what policies would you wave into today? Okay, well I I think I'll can I pick two then? Um, well, there's loads actually, but I'm going to pick two. Um, so I would, I would roll, I'd have a full rollout of a, of a universal based income. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I'm passionate about our education system and what that's doing for, or sometimes sadly to our kids. Um, and so we've done really well in Wales reforming the curriculum up to age 14. But once we get to age 14, we've still got GCSEs and I've got, a 16-year-old going through GCSEs at the moment. And so all of the exciting thing that I just told you about with our pre-14 curriculum falls off the edge of a cliff at age 14 because then we're just teaching to the test. And I went to a sort of parents' evening for for my son Jude a few months ago. Actually, this was like January, and they were like, oh, right, what we're doing now, um, we finished the curriculum, we're just revising. And I was like, are you actually kidding me? You're going to be spending four months literally just teaching to a test um, he's got to, you know, learn to almost like remember poems. When in your life do you ever need to remember poems? You know, I I just cannot like fathom it. So what we need is like a complete reform of our examination system because it's driving um, just completely the wrong sort of actions in school. And instead, what we should be doing is equipping young people with sort of skills for, for life and, um, you know, and skills for work. Someone said to me the other day, um, a young woman who just finished her degree, she said, you know what? She said, in every everything that I do 
now I would never sort of really do it on my own it's always we're always doing it in a team and we're bouncing ideas off each other and yet your entire school life and examination life you're basically told don't talk to anyone else just sit there and regurgitate knowledge by yourself and when do you ever need to do that crazy so examination reform for me I really love that you say that because there's been so many times in school I remember I left school about five years ago and whereas Shakespeare's great but I just was doing English and I was thinking to myself when am I ever going to remember any of these quotes it's just yeah. it's just yeah definitely um do you think a small country like Wales uh, can make a difference on the kind of big questions and big issues today like climate change yeah I think you know we often get that um, sort of question, don't we? You know, members of the public say to us, well, you know, God, what's the point of us doing this? Because, you know, you've got China with all their emissions, you've got the US, um, you know, with all of their emissions and so on and so on. But I think I heard this really interesting um, quote, which is like, defeatism is the new denialism on climate. And I think that's absolutely right. And we should all bear that in mind. And I think that, um, you know, often what the small nations do is often more progressive and other nations, other bigger nations start to follow. So back when, do you remember when Donald Trump pulled um, the US out of the Paris um, Climate Accord? And, you know, that was, you know, terrible thing to do. But actually, um, uh, many, many of the states in the US said, hang on a minute, we're not pulling out. And we're the people who actually hold the levers on how we plan our transport, how we build our houses, how we um, grow our food, how we do all of these sorts of things. And those are going to be the things that are going to make the difference in tackling climate change. And so that's where I think a small nation can um, you know, really add add value because we tend to be a bit more connected we tend to be a bit more nimble and flexible and we can make things happen and we tend to be a bit more progressive as well a lot more progressive I'd say in um, in Wales's case and if we look at kind of what we're doing you know Wales is a world leader on this future generations legislation and um, my office and with you know with other colleagues we've been working with the United Nations to say hang you know, you need to be advocating on behalf of future generations. What, you know, what can we do at a UN level? And at the beginning of this year, the UN Secretary General announced that the UN will have a special envoy for future generations, which is like the UN equivalent of a commissioner, a declaration for future generations, which is like the UN equivalent of a Future Generations Act, and reform their own governance infrastructure. And I met with them last week, and they're looking to get that in place by September 2023. Now, that's kind of modelled on you know on Wales and we are a tiny country of just over three million people so if you ever think you're too small you know you can look at Greta Thunberg and the movement that she developed from one lone person standing outside the Swedish parliament and you can look at Wales as a tiny nation well punching above its weight at a UN level and potentially leading to reforms for future generations in every country across the world boom go on Wales (laughs) (laughs) if you aren't inspired by that one what do you want Every week in the podcast, we are also asking each of our guests three questions that can hopefully help our listeners act today for a better tomorrow. So Kat, will you do the honours for the first time? So firstly, what's one bit of advice that you wish you'd known earlier? I think this is sort of a bit of a life motto that I try and stick by now, and it's feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, So in every 
thing that I've, you know, in my life and career that I've absolutely, you know, grown to love and been absolute, you know, core to to me and what I want to do, I've been absolutely terrified of it. I was terrified of having a baby. I was terrified of public speaking. I was terrified of taking on this role because I was thinking, oh my God, how am I going to do it? How are we going to, you know, and you've just got to put yourself um, out there and you've got to have, you know, you've got to embrace failure because you will fail. Um, and you, you know, you learn from that and you pick yourself back up. But um, whenever you put yourself out there and you do things you're scared of, it generally works out never as bad as you thought it was going to be and you grow from it. And, you know, even better, this is the mission, other things grow from it and hopefully you're sort of making change and, and improvement. So that would be my, my advice. What's one bit of art that gives you hope for the future? So um, I'm going to choose um, a piece of music that... Um, some of our um, some of our um, young creatives in Wales have just been working on. So it's um, an artist called Blank Face and Saskia Pay, um, and they have done this amazing um, music based around kind of communicating the Future Generations Act. And finally, what's one thing that our listeners could do today to make tomorrow better? Um, so I suppose whenever people get asked that question, you know, you, I mean, you can point to a million and one things, can't you, about, you know, acting more sustainably in, in the way you go about, you know, buying things, not buying things, you know, food waste, your environmental impact, all of those things. And all of those things are really, really important. But I do also believe that, you know, sometimes it's in the interest of government, uh, governments and the big corporates to be really pinning all of that back on the individual. And actually, whilst it is important that we all play our part in this, it's more important and what governments do and what big corporate companies do have the biggest impact on, you know, on our futures and particularly on addressing the climate emergency. So, um, you know, I would say that actually lobbying your your MP, um, your local politicians, your local council around how are you acting in the interests of future generations. Um, if it's your MP and you live um, in, in, in England or indeed, well, the, the, the UK, because it's a UK future generations bill, ask them if they're back in the bill. Um, and if they're not, ask them why not. Why are they not interested in your future um, and the future of your children and grandchildren? Um, and what's their rationale for that? So I think it's that this whole thing around like building a movement and, you know, a movement starts with one person, doesn't it? And then it grows and grows. We hope you enjoyed the first edition of BetterPod. If you'd like to support us, we'd love if you would subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and please do leave a review. We're relying on word of mouth to bring people into our conversation and to help us all discover how we can act today for a better tomorrow. You can keep up with all of the Big Issues reporting at bigissue.com where you can also discover how to find your local magazine vendor.